is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Family Church, it is a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, my name's Tim, I'm one of the elders at Jubilee, um, and um, this is my first time here with you in Tower View School. I've, I've joined you for prayer meetings, I've been to the community centre, but this is great. So good to be with you, um, uh, and and so good to hear, as, as we, we pray for you, in, in Jubilee we're praying for Burton Family Church, and it's so good to be able to uh, well, be encouraged of these wonderful stories, Graham's already touched on them, so, so I'm not going to spend more time on that, but we love you and we're praying for you. Um, Dave, you brought this thing at the beginning of worship about Elijah having a bit of a moment, um, like he had this great big win, and then it was like everyone was like, "What's happened to Elijah?" He's like, he was on the mountain and calling stuff down from heaven, and now he's wanting to die in a hole. And whilst we're not talking really about Elijah this morning, there's actually a massive way that that's teed us up into hearing the story of Jesus and what's going on for him. See, I wonder if you have ever felt particularly stressed, maybe so stressed that people have started to see a change in your character. Maybe you've seen people in front of you like look at each other and go, whoa, what's, what's, happened? what's happened? They've seen a change in your behavior. Maybe it's been anger. Maybe it's been some kind of, you, you've said something hurtful or you've just disengaged, or maybe you're just so distracted that you're not paying attention, not trying to get anyone here. This is just my list from this week. But, but I wonder if you've been maybe even so stressed out that actually you've taken about one thing and you've taken it out on someone else. I think maybe in our passage today, actually this is the closest that we see to Jesus doing that. And you're thinking, well, hang on, no, Jesus, he, 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 didn't, he didn't do stuff like this. He was, you know. But actually, we're going we're gonna to read about him under a really intense time. So if, you, if you've got your Bible with you, why don't you, uh, why don't you turn to, with me to Mark chapter 14, verse 26. Um, just while, you, while you're getting there, um, we're going to uh, set the scene. So this is the gospel of Mark. This is the story of Jesus told through the words, the accounts of Peter written down by Mark. Peter was one of the one of Jesus' closest friends, closest disciples, and Peter's done the church this massive service of writing down all his stories. And really, his account is there to, to encourage probably the church in Rome at the time. They're like, Mark, we want to hear more of these stories about that Peter tells about Jesus. Write them down for us. So he so he does this. And, and the church in Rome at the time, under a massive persecution, under the stress of persecution at the time. And, and these, this account is pretty warts and all. This is not Peter's greatest moments, Peter's greatest hits. Okay, this is, this is totally focused on Jesus, how good he is, what he has done in the midst of Peter's failings and stupid things he does and just not getting it. 
Um, you might have met people before whose names fit the bill, just like, you know, like paint that does exactly what it says on the tin. You know, like I, I work in, um, in rehabilitation with people with brain injuries and one of the doctors that I had real privilege to work with for many years, her name was Dr. Brain in a brain injury unit. That kind of like, she was destined for this, yeah? And, and, and actually, when, when Jesus first met Peter, his name was Simon. Simon means be heard. Everyone was entitled to Simon's opinion, yeah? You know this. He was the noisy one. He was the impetuous one. He was the one who said stuff and then maybe thought about it a little bit later. Yeah, he, he was that guy. And yet Jesus sees something in Simon that goes, I think we, that almost something calls for a name change here. I can see something eternal in you, shouty man, that, that, is, that actually is, is, we need a name change here. Your name's going to be Peter. That means rock. Because on you, I'm going to build my church. I can see the foundation of the church in you, Peter. Meanwhile, in the real world, Jesus, all of us can see that Peter's just been hanging around with you for a few, for a few days now, and, and yet you're saying you can see this. We can see that he's still a bit shouty and impetuous. There's this tension, isn't there, between what he's like and what Peter, uh, sorry, what Jesus is calling him to be. Um, now, when we, when we get into Mark, um, you're going to see that the main part of this story set in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. That sounds like a nice place, right? It's, um, uh, Gethsemane means, uh, comes from Hebrew words, which means gatsmani. It means um, oil press. So right now, Mark is taking us to the place of pressure the place of stress. I don't know if you've, ever eat, if you've ever gone through an olive grove or seen an olive tree and you've taken olive, an olive off a tree and tasted it. It's, it's underwhelming. It's rubbish, actually. It tastes horrible. Now, I, I'm saying this. My dad's family's from Italy. We love olives, right? You might think of them as a finger food. My daughter thinks of them as a fist food, okay? My, my, um, we, we get through so much oil in our house, in a week, Jenny's saying to me, Tim, cost of living, you know, maybe it's time for vegetable oil. I'm like, what am I going to put on my cornflakes, Jenny? <laughs> that might be a marriage of foods that you're just like, you just don't really begin to understand. But if you're going to get the most special, the most expensive part of this fruit, you need to put it under pressure. It needs to be crushed. We're going to set the scene here. There's a big buzz about Jesus now. He's been going around the countryside talking to people who know God and people who are far away from God. And he is healing many and talking about what it's like to know the Father. And people are saying, oh, he believes this. He lives this. And he's coming to Jerusalem where the temple is. And... This is the holy city, and in, in the chapter just before this, Mark 13, he gathers his disciples, like his life, his life group, his small group, and, and he, says, he says, like, soon enough, this journey that we've been on, where you're traveling with me, 
and learning from me daily. As good as it's been, it's going to come to an end. And soon this grand building, this temple that you can see, as beautiful it is, as it is, that's going to be destroyed because all of it, the journey, the temple, all of it is temporary. Because I'm creating a new place of worship. I'm creating a temple that's in you. I'm going to dwell in you. And this journey of eternal life starts now. And you're going to bring many with you on this journey. It carries on in Mark 13. He just, like, Mark just starts repeating points. Now he starts repeating words just to emphasize it. He, you see the word astray come up three times. He says, um, see that no one leads you astray. Jesus is saying, look, many are going to go astray. And, and, and Mark is just emphasizing the point over and over. The risk of you, the risk of the church going astray, that is real. So what does Jesus say to do about it? He says, be on guard. Be on guard. Be on guard. Be hypervigilant. See that no one leads you astray. Keep your eyes open. What can you see? What, what's ahead of you? Check the instruments. What's your speed? How much is in the tank? What's your position? Because whether you're a pilot or a guard or a shepherd, you become quite ornamental if you're asleep. And he says this, stay awake. Stay awake, stay awake. He says it four times. He really wants to send this home. He's like, take four spiritual double espressos, chug them, followed by a Red Bull. Stay proper awake. Stay hyper vigilant. Don't fall asleep on this. And then we get into Mark 14. We, he, um, he sits them down for their final meal together. There's, there's a woman in, in this room called Mary. She's got her eyes open. She knows that Jesus is about to die. She... She breaks open this really costly perfume and, and, uh, and pours it over Jesus in the most costly act of worship. And there's, there's uproar in the room at the waste of this worship. And Jesus calms them all down. And he probably, he'll, be, he'll be smelling of this perfume by the time we pick up this story. And by the time that he goes to the cross still, he'll be smelling of it. He calms them all down and they have their final meal together and he doesn't have the final cup with them, the final glass of wine. Because he's got another spiritual cup to drink. Isaiah tells us about this in, in um, it, you can read about it in Isaiah chapter 51. He says this, awake, awake, again, <laughs> awake. Um, rise up Jerusalem you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath who has drained it to its dregs this is what Jesus got faced now the cup of judgment the whole cup of wrath God's judgment upon the earth for all of the sins of the earth this is what he knows he's going to he knows he's going to be the sacrifice. This is a huge moment for him. All of eternity, all of history has been building up to this point. The, the crowd is there, spotlights on, the music's blaring. 
Jesus steps into the arena with his entourage. But the time's come to step through the ropes now and into the ring. And he's going to do that alone. So we pick up the story in Mark 14, 26. They, it says this, When they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yeah, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Mark does this quite a lot. When Peter says something and he goes, and all the others said the same as well. Kind of gives us license to go, insert your name here. Yeah? Every Sunday. Even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And then they went to this place called Gethsemane. The oil press. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him. So he left some of the disciples uh, at one place and then brought, the other, brought Peter, James, and John closer with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. This is Jesus. Even when he is maximally stressed out, he's using words from the Psalms to tell you how distressed he is. He's using, he's using the ancient words of the scriptures to, to articulate what's going on in his heart because God's word is eternal. Now, this, this Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives and he leaves his his disciples in one place and just brings like the, the, the crew of three with him. We've seen that happen a few chapters earlier on a different mountain. This time, they go up to the mountain. They see Jesus radiating in his glory. We call it the transfiguration. They hear the voice of the Father speaking and there's Moses and there's Elijah and the whole thing is just crazy radiating glory. And up until this point, everyone's just been scratching their heads going, well, there's something really amazing about this man, this, this guy who can heal people, teach people well. But in this moment, they go, oh, we're right to be scratching our heads about him because he's actually God. He's actually God and, and we, we're seeing him in his glory. Now we're on a different mountain. And to be honest, it's starting to get a bit awkward because the great teacher, the great leader, looks a whole lot less glorious here. He looks stressed. Last mountain, we saw him in his divinity. This mountain, we see him in his humanity at his messiest. The, he had the cleverest 
most eternal answers to life's hardest questions and the hardest things that the religious teachers could ever throw at him. And now he just seems to be unraveling because the stakes are so high. Let's see, verse 35, going a little further. He fell to the ground and prayed if it was possible that the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. Still in this moment, he's asking with the most intimate words, Dad, please, if if there's any other way. Question's been asked. Then he returns, verse 37, he returns to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, using his old name, probably speaking to the flesh, to the immediate, are you asleep? Couldn't you, can you watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. You know, maybe if Peter had stayed awake and prayed, would he have ended up denying Jesus later on? Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, it seems to me that if there's a battle going on between the spirit and the flesh, and the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, then right, surely the spirit's going to win this one. Yeah? But it's not quite as simple as this, is it? Because the two are just, the two we can't separate. So when God created us, he created us in his image. He, we are like him. If you, if you want to know what God is like, well, we can look at people and go, actually, you, you're made in the image of God. So I've got a bit of an idea of what God is like. But to come to us, Jesus had to step out of the eternal to be this word incarnated. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a weird word. But... If you've, ever heard, if you've ever had chili con carne, you'll kind of start to get the idea. You've got chili, spicy, con with carne, meat. So the incarnation is the process of God putting on meat, putting on flesh. This is what he's saying, like the spirit is when the flesh is weak. Having a body. C.S. Lewis describes it like this in his book, uh, the screw tape letters. Now, this is written from. He, he calls us revolting hybrids in the in this, uh, and it's written from from a senior devil writing like training letters to a junior devil whose job it is to try and keep people away from God. And uh, so, in this letter, like the quote sort of seems a bit flipped because when he's talking about um, the enemy, he's talking about God. And when he's talking about our father, he's talking about Satan. But it sounds weird, but go, go with it on this. Humans are amphibians, half spirit, half animal. The enemy's determination to produce such a revolting hybrid was one of the things that determined our father to withdraw his support for him. As spirits, they belong to the eternal world. But as animals, they inhabit time. This means that whilst they're Spirit can be directed to an eternal object. Their bodies, passions, and imaginations are in continual change. For to be in time, 
means to change. And so we have here Jesus wrestling with his humanity. Is there any other way, Lord? And we've also got Peter wrestling and struggling with his eternal calling. And Mark kind of brings them together, colliding together over and over again. Let's just let's have a look at Jesus first. What does he do? Once more, he went away, prayed the same thing, and so he's back asking the same question, right? So he's already asked the question. He's back. He's coming back to G, uh, coming back to the Father again to ask the same question. Why? Stakes are high, right? He's extremely distressed. He's he's physically sweating blood. You, I wonder if you can just imagine the torment with this. Not only is he, is he going to suffer physically, he's got to take on the, the, the sins of the world. He's got to be separated from God. And he's been with God forever. So due diligence says, do you know what? I'm just going to go back and check with the Father. Is, is, there, is there any other way? Uh, uh, it would be silly to get arrested now, get put to death, when actually there was another way that there's there. I'm just going to check. Maybe the first time God responds, we've talked about this. For all eternity, we've talked about this. And then maybe the next time he comes back. No, there is no other way. You know that. And he comes back a third time. And maybe God says to him this time, look, you, you know it, son. You've announced it to many people. There is no other way because you are the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through you to me. So there's no other way. There's no other way we can do this. You, yes, nothing is impossible for God. But actually, there's no other way for Jesus here. Elijah, he, he talked about uh, the the voice of God being a still small voice. So it takes concentration. Now, that might be news to you that we can even hear the voice of God at all. There might, some, some of us might be really well practiced with it. Some of us might be, it might be a bit sporadic. But what's, what's going on for Jesus, this magnitude of these events right now, that's noisy, that's distracting. And maybe he can't hear too well. Because he's here. It's the wrestle between the eternal and the now. He knows what his father's voice sounds like though. Like there were plenty of times where he was going and praying when he didn't have to, when everything was good. He still went and prayed. He rose up early to go do it. There there were times where he willingly stepped into the wilderness and the testing times to prepare himself for ministry. And he understood the voice of God in, in those times too. So, so he was preparing himself for the worst of times in the best of times by, by a routine and a habit, a conversation of prayer with his father. And that's such a challenge for us. Prayer, Sunday mor- uh, prayer Monday morning, 7 a.m. Get to it. Amp. Uh, which is in, which is in uh, 
in Jubilee in Derby, 6.30, Wednesday morning. Let's get to it. Prayer is such a good thing. We've got where, where we can join together to pray. It's such a good discipline. It helps us to hear the Father's voice because it's not all talking. It's listening to, isn't it? Um, verse 40. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Uh, they just didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, they said, returning the third time, so he's been to pray a third time, and he comes back to them again. He says, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Sort of looks now like Jesus is back. That he's asked the questions, is there any other way? The answer's no. And he seems to be empowered by that answer. Yeah, like I've heard right from God. There's no other way. All right, I'm, st- I'm going confidently into this now. I'm not distressed to the point of death anymore. I'm following after my father. You know, at this point, he could have chosen just to run off into the bushes. Mount of Olives... Garden of Gethsemane didn't have that many street lights. It wouldn't have taken a miracle for him to disappear. But the last time God went looking for people in a garden was thousands of years before. Adam and Eve. Insert your name here. They'd messed up. They'd gone their own way. And when God came looking for them, he had to say, where are you? Because they were hiding. Then he had to banish them from the garden so that they couldn't eat from the tree of life, which would have meant that they would be eternally separated from him. They probably asked, Adam and Eve probably asked God, just like Jesus did, is there any other way? And maybe God replied something like, you've got no idea what it's going to cost for you to walk away from here. You've got no idea what it's going to cost to undo the damage of this fall. So the cost to Jesus is huge. He's drinking this cup of wrath, but Hebrews The book of Hebrews tells us that he endured the cross for the joy set before him. He knows that in the garden he is undoing the curse that's in Eden. In this garden, in Gethsemane, in the place of pressure, he, by being obedient and praying, is undoing the curse that happened in the fall of man where we went our own way. This is why he is warring in himself. Because the stakes are so high. Not just of, when stakes are high, that means the risk is big. To him, yeah, he's going to have to pay a massive price. But the reward. It might feel like to Jesus more of an if than a when right now. But his reward is that he's going to invite many brothers, many sisters to join him in knowing his Father God and to be welcomed home into eternal life. 
And that invitation still stands today. So if you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus before, the Bible says, look, if you, if you recognize that like Adam and Eve, you're going astray, you're going your own way. And maybe that's something you've done willingly. Maybe that's something that you've actually ne- you've never considered before until this morning. But if, you, but if you turn around from that way, if you repent from that way um, and put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're choosing to say this. Let's, I wonder if we can just pray this together, actually. Um, why don't we just close our eyes? Um, and I'm just going to pray. Maybe you've prayed. Maybe you've prayed a prayer like this many times before. Pray again. It's um. It's wonderful just to bow ourselves before Jesus, right? Maybe you've never prayed it before. And actually, join me with praying it now because it's really this simple to get to know Jesus. Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done for going my own way. I don't want to go astray anymore. I believe that the sacrifice that you made of yourself for me has paid for every wrong thing that I have ever done and has made a way for me to know Father God and I want to follow you into this eternal life. Amen. Amen. Uh, I wonder, just keep your eyes closed for a moment, just keep, if this is cool. Um, uh, I know many of you, some of you I just totally don't know, but this might have been the first time you've prayed that prayer. And if you have, I just wonder, would you just put your hand up if it's the first time you've prayed that prayer? Okay, that's, that's great. All of us are praying it either. You can open your eyes now. All of us are praying it again. Getting to know uh, our Father. Now look, we've talked about Jesus. I just want to start talking about Peter for a moment here. Peter and the other disciples, insert your name here. Um, Now look, they've been told stay awake like he told them to in the previous chapter as well. Now, they have all had probably at least one more glass of wine than Jesus. That's, we, we read that in, in terms of how the, how the Passover went. But this isn't really down to that. This is down to the, they could see something's going on for their great friend. And actually, this is to do with the wrestle of the spirit over the flesh, which Jesus describes as the spirit being willing, the flesh being weak. And we are only as strong as our weakest part. As a church, we're only, we're only as strong as our weakest part, right? So, so actually, if you know of people in your, uh, in your life group, know people in your church, know people in your, in, in, your, in your family who need some support, need some protection, then I tell you what, you are as strong as the weakest people that you know. So, 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 let, so let's uh, encourage them and strengthen them and build them up. So that, so that they might take strength from you. 
I didn't quite say that right. Our church is as strong as our weakest part, is what, what I mean. Um, but this is it. This is the tension of being the in-between. This is, the, this is being called into something eternal, and yet there's something so immediate that actually is a bit of a struggle to do. This is the war that's going on. In verse 43, we read that Judas arrives and he betrays Jesus into the religious authorities' hands. Now, funnily enough, they managed to stay awake. And they arrest him and they take him for trial. And so here is Jesus being let down by another disciple. And if you're, uh, if you're with us uh, in Jubilee next week, you'll hear about that trial. Lucy's bringing us uh, the word uh, uh, from, from the story of what happened in that trial. And we're looking forward to that as well. But we'll carry on with Peter. So we'll, we'll kind of skip what's said in the trial. We'll carry on with stories, uh, Peter's story here because he has followed Jesus at a bit of a distance. And whilst Jesus is standing trial in, um, before the Sanhedrin, verse 66, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by and she saw Peter warming himself and she looked closely at him. You were with that Nazarene, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out to the entrance and then the servant girl saw him there at the entrance and again uh, she said again to those standing around him this fellow he's one of them and again he denied it but after a little while those standing near to Peter said well surely you are one of them because you're, you're a Galilean and he began to call down curses and swore to them I don't know this man that you are talking about and immediately the cock crowed tw uh, for the second time. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus spoke that, uh, that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you are going to deny me three times. Disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Because Jesus, you're bang on. I've let you down again. Insert your name here. But... You're in good company. Paul, in his letter to the Roman church, confesses the same thing. Chapter 7 of Romans, he says, oh, For what I want to do, I do not do, but I hate what I do. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And there's this, there's this kind of war going on. Um, I, there's a, a wonderful poem which I, I think puts this, I, I think brings to life this, this battle, this, this war very well. It's called Mutiny. It's written by a poet called Cody Baker. It's a couple of minutes. I'm just going to read it to you. There is a mutiny in my soul, a coup d'etat of my will over your will. And it's pulling me down this diverging road, and it tells me I'm the worst version of myself, forever reproaching myself. There is a mutiny in my soul, and I'm in this fight for my life, 
with a violent gushing sickness and it's pulling my shirt over my head so I can't see and I'm taking blows to the face from this wicked wretch but it's me wrapping my hands up and getting ready for the main event and I'm pounding and pounding away at this poor soul with his, head, with his shirt pulled over his head so he can't see. Can't you see the prize or oh, the victor's crown? Is it not worthy? Is it not worth fighting for? Is it not worth your utmost? Why else are you here? Can't you hear? He's calling you. Heaven is calling you. Screaming, you are mine. And all that's mine is yours. But I can't hear. Because I'm here. Because of this mutiny. There's a mutiny in my soul and it whispers, why would you choose that place, that dark, dripping place again? And again, I try to stop, and, but then I go. And I go, and I go, and I don't turn around. Straight as an arrow shot from this bow made of rotting wood. It's crooked as a snake, hiding in the long grass, waiting to strike, always there, always following me up and down this rusted slide, this dark playground where I fight, where I'm the bully. Well, I'm the violent gushing sickness where I rob myself the prize, where I rob myself the satisfaction of finally hearing those sweet words, well done, good and faithful. And oh, the prize, oh, the mystery of my mutiny, my coup d'etat, my main event, my losing myself, this mutiny in my soul. Don't know if you can relate to, to that war inside. Paul carries on, he says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another work, uh, another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who's going to rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, we, Peter, didn't deserve it then when he first called us. But he loved the world so much, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. Yeah, amen. And our denial after that doesn't come as a surprise, does it? It doesn't come as a surprise to God. And guess what? We're no less deserving then than we were before. Because welcoming us into his family was the joy that he went to the cross for. And look how he looks after his family. Even after this denial, after he's raised up from the grave, he goes back to Galilee. John picks up this story, the Gospel of John. It says this, John 21, when he finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, well, take care of my sheep. Third time, he says to Simon, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's hurt because Jesus is asking him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. (laughs) You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Do you see what's happening here? These three denials that Peter had, still ringing loud in his ears. And Peter thought he was down and out. But again, Jesus sees something different to the evidence in front of him. He just sees that he's down and not out. Just like when Jesus is undoing the curse of the Garden of Eden, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's undoing each one of those denials with love, with a declaration of love. It's it's like with each one of them, he doesn't just do, he he also gives, he just commissions Peter with more. He says, look, I'm giving you a mission now. I want you to do this. It's like he is reversing the outcount on a boxer. He's like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And getting him up off the canvas. Look, you're back in the fight. And there is all this to fight for. We touched on Judas the betrayer come in, handed him in. in Ma- now we know, like this, is, this isn't a popular view, Jesus, the, Judas is the bad guy, we, we hate him, right? But imagine if he hadn't fallen into the despair and taken his own life. Imagine if he'd come to Jesus and taken hold of that hope, the same hope of restoration which he gave to Peter, What a restoration that would have been. We're coming to a close, church. He he loves the day that you came to know him. But every one of your days is written in his book and he cares in the midst of our falling asleep. He cares in the midst of our denials, even of our betrayals. He cares in the midst of our mutiny. He, He cares in the midst of evil being right there with us. And he chooses to come after us and restore us with love. That church is as much the gospel as him dying for your sins. So I wonder, let's, let's take hold of that every single day. Let's take hold of that hope of that gospel every single day because, oh, how we need it. Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.